travelers, we are live from the apocalypse. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Academy H. My name is Will, and I continue to be your storyteller. If you haven't listened to Academy H before, what are you even doing here? Get lost. That was a joke. Please don't leave. Academy H is our actual play Masks podcast, and just like everything we do here at Live from the Apocalypse, it benefits a nonprofit or aid organization. In this case, the Surfrider Foundation. We pick beneficiaries and then set a goal of $2,000. Once we hit that goal, we vote to pick the next one, and so on. We are very close to meeting our Surfrider Foundation goal, so that will be changing very, very soon. We also record the show live. Whoa! You can catch us on Twitch every other Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, recording two episodes at a time, which is also where the majority of our fundraising happens. And you can find all of that info, our full schedule, socials, and Discord community link at lfta.card.co, that's C-A-R-R-D dot co, or on our Twitch at twitch.tv slash live from the apocalypse. Feel free to join us. We would love to have you. A little disclaimer on this particular episode. If you've been listening since the beginning, you probably know that Academy Age is technically a sequel to a different Masks game that I ran during the first year and a half of the pandemic. Those players and I built this world collaboratively, and Academy H is set 10 years in the future of that game, which means their original characters have become important parts of this setting. And so, with that in mind, I'm incredibly excited to announce that the original cast, who happen to be some of my best friends and some of the main people involved with Live from the Apocalypse, will be providing the voices of their characters in our podcast moving forward. This episode features Eden as Haley Troy, aka Luminary, as well as Alex as Leo Sobrero, one of the administrators of the Brandt Academy, and you'll be able to catch the others over the course of this game. We'll even be going back and updating past episodes, but because this is the first time we're trying it, there are still some kinks to sort out that are pretty evident in this episode, which is a nice way of saying I haven't made the audio sound good yet, but it will in the future. But I've already talked for so long, and I don't want to hold you up any longer. So without further ado, let's get into Lost and Found, Part 3. It is a bright and sunny morning in downtown province. This particular street is empty, however, which is an unusual sight to see, especially in the morning in a busy city. Curiously, despite the fact that this street is devoid of any cars or pedestrians of of any kind, there is still a tremendous amount of noise. And the reason for this noise becomes apparent as several news helicopters turn circles above this street. The reason for all of this attention as they all direct news cameras down at the ground becomes evident as we see a tremendous spire. It towers over the ground at least 50, if not 70 feet in the air. What is most curious about this, aside from the fact that it exists at all, is that it appears to be made entirely of glass. Walking by it, down at its base, staring up and admiring it, is a man in a policeman's uniform. He's middle-aged, he has a mustache, and is wearing just the blues of a beat cop. His hat is pushed back on his head as he stares up at this towering monstrosity. He has a cup of coffee in one hand, and as he stands there admiring it, another police officer walks up beside him. This one is a woman, a little bit younger than him. She has brown hair that is pulled back very severely into a bun, wears the same uniform that he does, has an almost identical cup of coffee in her hands. She looks up at this thing as well and she says, so that's it, huh? And the other cop says, yeah, yeah, that's it. God only knows what they're going to do with this thing. She says, well, they'll have to break it down, I guess. And he looks at her and then looks back at it and says, you, uh, you got any ideas about how exactly to do that? She just shakes her head in response. 
He says, according to the reports, whoever created this thing trapped Luminary inside it. The other cop shakes her head and says, that sounds insane. Like, just this thing? He says, yeah. He starts walking around the side of it, and she follows after him. They get to the opposite side of the spire, where they look up at a large hole that appears to have been blown out the side. He points at it, and he says, yeah, that's, uh, that's where she got out. I don't think she was in there for long, but I mean, the fact that it could hold her at all, is uh, that's really something. The other cop laughs a little bit, and she says, yeah, I bet she was pissed. And he chuckles and says, yeah, I bet you're right. We smash cut to the Brandt Academy, where our team of teenage heroes have just finished undergoing their first training session and evaluation by the inner spec agents assigned to them. Commander Mary Jones and Commander Micah Masterson are still present. They stand off to one side in their black tactical interspec uniforms with their respective symbols on the shoulder pads. Commander Jones has a rectangle with stripes inside of it, and Commander Masterson has a circle with a star inside of it. They both look apprehensive, to put it mildly. Standing with them, looking no less apprehensive, is Leo Sobrero, one of the administrators of the Brandt Academy. He does not wear a tactical paramilitary uniform. He is wearing a tweed jacket, a button-down shirt, jeans, all of which look like they have not been ironed in some time. He looks frazzled, and he is pacing a little bit, shifting from foot to foot, a little ways off from these three adults. We see three much younger people are heroes in question. Alex Sandowski, aka Victory, Casimir Bright, aka Spectral, and Danny Carseat, recently, aka The Stage, notably missing their fourth companion, who is currently in the locker room. Bethel. The locker room of the bunker is pretty much exactly what you would expect any gym locker room to look like. Or rather, it looks exactly identical to any gym locker room you have been in, and you have been in plenty of gym locker rooms in your life. There's nothing spectacular or fantastic about it, but given what you have recently learned about the bunker's nature, you would guess that that could change at a moment's notice. And standing across from you, in this row of lockers, is the world's most powerful superhero, Luminary. She stands over you. She is taller than you by a good few inches. Her costume, complete with a cape, is very bright. It almost seems to refract light. While it might look white or silver at a glance, any light that hits it seems to refract off into a million different colors, making it hard to tell exactly what color it actually is. You're not sure if that is the nature of the costume itself or if that is a manifestation of Luminary's powers, but she stands across from you, arms crossed, foot tapping impatiently on the floor. As she turns around to look at the clock on the wall, she tosses her shoulder-length platinum blonde hair that appears to be dyed in muted tones of every color of the rainbow. At least you assume it's dyed. And she turns back to you from the clock. So I'm going to be honest, I'm looking at you, and you are not exactly what I thought you would be when you came here. Well, what were you expecting then? Someone bigger? Scarier? You didn't see who did this to you? I didn't get a good look at them, no. Where? It was downtown. It was close to the Powers Building. There was a robbery in progress reported at one of their holding facilities, and I was nearby. So I showed up to look into it and imagine my surprise. Rise. The next thing I know is that I'm trapped inside a prison of glass. Imagine my surprise to hear that there's someone else who can do that. Although, to be fair, I can't actually do that. Not yet. Thought about it. Can't do it. She looks you up and down and she raises an eyebrow and she says, Are you surprised? Lyra kind of like, up until this point, She's kind of tried to keep her body language like flat, just hands at her side. But at that, she kind of shifts a little and she puts her hands on her hips. 
Before you say anything, Luminary is actually going to raise her hand and she's going to say, Just a reminder, I can control the entire spectrum of energy. And the brain is just a series of electrical impulses. So if you try to lie, I will know. Wow. Didn't think I would be threatened in a school locker room by one of the most famous people in the world this morning when I got up. You make a habit of that? Less of a threat, more of a reminder. I'm not here to entrap you. Mm-hmm. You just want to interrogate me. <laughs> Questions. If I were interrogating you, you'd know you were being interrogated. This is a conversation. In theory, what I can do stems from things that other people used to be able to do historically back in Europe before magic was locked away. So am I 100% shocked that someone else in the world can manipulate glass? No. Am I surprised that someone else in this city can? Yes. I didn't think there was anyone in this city who could do that. She fixes you with a steady gaze for a few seconds, and then she says, Well, I believe you. But I feel like there's a but coming. She continues to look at you in silence. Trying to decide if I should apologize to you or not? I mean, I personally don't care one way or the other. I will be completely honest with you. I'm used to people not apologizing to me for things. However, I think Leo might take some kind of a feeling about this. You did, from what I saw, fly directly onto his school and demanded to speak to a student. It's not a great luck, ma'am. Leo forgets when it's convenient for him that he used to do this too. That he does the same thing I do. He took a vow to protect people, and sometimes that means pulling someone out of class, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I mean it when I say that I don't know who did this. But I will say that if you find out, I would be very interested to know. As she continues to size you up, she thinks for a second. Her face breaks out into like a lopsided smile that's a little bit mischievous. And she says, I guess it depends on what time of day it is that I find something out because I wouldn't have to interfere with your class schedule. Myra kind of like, she'll smile back at that. It's a little bit of a lot of teeth, but she's like, understandable, but you could always leave a message. I'll see what I can do. Much appreciated. May I go? You don't need my permission. Thank you. And Lyra will just straight up leave. She will not immediately follow you out of the locker room, but a few seconds after you get back to your group, she will exit the locker room as well. As she is walking, she will lift off of the ground a few inches and transition to gliding instead of walking, and then land across the room back where Micah and Mary and Leo are currently gathered. And they resume talking to each other as you get back to your group. Lyra does not sit again when she rejoins. She kind of like stands with the group, still hands on her hips. When she gets back, she'll nod to everyone, look over at where the adults are, and she's like, so what happened while I was gone? Anything fun? Nothing as exciting as I'm sure what was happening for you. Uh, you good? Fine. Accused of some kind of crime. Apparently there was a break-in last night near one of the Powers buildings while we were over in Europe. They did not mention that we were over in Europe, but that's interesting. Something to think about, certainly. Might have to go check that out if we can. I'd be game. As you're catching up. Luminary is going to finish her conversation with Leo. Hard for you to tell the exact nature of it. Some of the tension goes out of his body as Luminary once again rises up off the ground and glides out of the bunker. He relaxes visibly a little bit. Mary puts a hand on his shoulder to steady him, says something to him. They both start laughing. While that is happening, Micah, Commander Masterson, is going to step away from them and over to you all with just the one katana still protruding over his shoulder, <laughs> having recently lost his second one. Shame. Tragic. Truly tragic. 
Micah steps over to you all and nods at you. Resumes that stance that he defaults to. Chest out, back straight, hands sort of clasped behind his back, and says, Y'all right? To Bethel. Yes, fine. Pretty sure seeing me took the wind out of her sails. I, uh, I guess I don't look impressive enough to be someone able to trap her in some kind of glass cage, powers or no. But I do want to see it. Do you know where it is? Commander Masterson appears to be having an internal debate (laughs) of some kind. And when he does open his mouth and speak, (laughs) he says, as a uh, responsible adult, that sounds like a very dangerous situation. You were all still relatively new at this and really only just became a a squad. So I would uh, advise against that. Besides, it's going to be cleaned up soon. Cleaned up from where? Nice try. What if I got you your sword back? No. Good, because that thing is lost. (laughs) He holds up one arm and that same light appears along the edge of his arm and says, you you realize it's not about the swords, right? Like I can, can do this with anything. Yeah, but they're so cool. I bought that sword at a mall. Cost $60. So, uh, edgelord, is it? Micah gives you a bad case of military <laughs> in response to that. Hey, no, I didn't say it was bad. It's cool. It's a cool name. It sounds like a cool, a cool guy's name. It's a very short list of people who are allowed to call me that. We are so honored to be on that list. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> the list is world's most powerful person. And that's it. That's the list. (laughs) Well, at least we know where we got to get. Mr. Masterson, I have a question. Mm Mm-hmm. Are your powers magic? Why do you want to know? I'm just curious. For sure, I don't think you're my dad. (laughs) It's a weird thing to say to somebody. It's a very weird thing to say to somebody. Technically, my powers came from magic but are you yourself magical i don't really know how to answer that question i make things sharp and i didn't feel confident saying it i panicked because i was curious i'm gonna pull out a notebook danny like out of his front pocket he pulls out a notebook and if you look at it it just has a list of potential dads And he adds Masterson to the list, but you also see like dude who works at Ikea and nice barista at the Starbucks. <laughs> it is like 40 names deep. Uh, just to be clear, I myself personally am not magic and I'm also not your dad. In case there was any doubt. Danny will nod, but then underlines his name three times. <laughs> All right. Well, the point is don't go looking for this thing. This weird glass thing, because Interspec is going to be hauling it away soon anyway. So, don't waste your time. I have a question about Interspec. Okay. Um, if they're hauling, like, if they haul things like that away, like, where does the glass go? Mm-hmm. Okay, I see what you're trying to do, and I shouldn't have said what I just said. So, forget it. No, I'm not telling you that either. I should have been more subtle. I shouldn't have told you the first thing. I'm definitely not telling you the second thing. I mean, Commander Masterson, you did say that you were telling us not to go there as a responsible adult. I was wondering if you were not talking as a responsible adult, what you might encourage us to do. No. Nope. No. Not happening. Though he does clearly appreciate the fact that you used his title. He like straightens his back a little bit, like nods in approval. Once again, looking around at all of you and pointing at you very severely, he will say, whatever you're thinking about doing, don't do it. Is that clear? Okay. I will not be going to Subway after this. All right. Okay. Good. Mm -hmm. Yes. Glad we understand each other. Yes, absolutely. He's going to take a few steps backwards, just like looking around at all of you meaningfully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then he's going to shake his head turn around and start heading whatever it is that you're thinking that we're going to do. We're not going to do that. Stop talking. He calls back and he's going to head for the door. And as he does, so he's going to call out and he's going to say, Jones wheels up in five. Let's go. Mary will roll her eyes, but she will meet him at the door and they will leave the bunker together. They came in a plane, right? You don't actually know. 
Okay. Casimir will salute. Uh, he does not look back. <laughs> v for victory. I'm assuming that's what everybody means when they say they salute. <laughs> no, not Casimir. <laughs> Casimir refuses. He is not jumping on this train. <laughs> Leo, some of the tension has gone out of him, but he is sort of still rubbing his hands uh, uncomfortably against his slacks as he meanders over to you all. He looks a little sheepish, despite his best effort not to. And he says, Good, good work today. Mary said you all did a really good job. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Sorry. No, I'm just thinking. Just think about Edgelord. Is he coming back? Is he going to be our official trainer? Is he going to be our new dad? Why? What did he do? Nothing. It was just a good time. He looks very confused. You have never seen Leo like let the let the teacher mask slip as badly as he does when you say that you enjoyed Micah Masterson. No, it was awesome. Please, Professor, we, I think, as a squad, are begging you, please mm -hmm. let us train <laughs> with Captain Masterson again. We will file a formal request if necessary. It would mean the world to us. Yeah, definitely. Is this like a teenage irony thing? No. No, it, it was a good time. He was very supportive. Okay. Micah Masterson? Edgelord, yes. He was very, very thrilled with Victory's results, if I recall. It's true. Um, yeah, uh, okay. I feel very self-actualized by the training session that we had just now. Yep, sure. Uh, you know what? I'll see what his schedule looks like. He's a very busy man. Well, busy doing what? <laughs> oh, ah, uh, well, Michael's the commander of the Super Tactical Assault Regiment which is sort of the combat arm of Interspec. So, um, when they left to go to that glass thing, why is he a part of that? Is it in a place where they need to be defensive? He looks like he's about to ask a question, then he like looks at Bethel and then nods, like he answered his own question. I don't think they're headed there. Though, if they were on Interspec business, I wouldn't really know about it. I'm just a teacher. They would probably take it to some secure facility to study it, I don't imagine they have to go far. Luminary did say it was right outside of a powers building. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'm starting to see what's happening here. And that's on me for not picking up on it sooner. But, okay, Bethel, maybe you and I could have a word. And I'm not going to try to be an authority figure in this instance. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you not to do anything because I don't know that you are going to do anything. You haven't done anything yet, but I would encourage you to use your best judgment and to leave things to the professionals and the adults. You all keep saying that as if we're not 18. Well, I mean, they might have a point about the professional thing. We're definitely not getting paid. That's true. Yes, but I at least have two years of freelance experience. I don't know how long I've been doing this. That's fair, Danny. But yes, if you would like a, a word. Great. Do you want to talk here? Or we could go to my office? Or grab a cup of coffee? She kind of looks at the others and then looks back at the cup of coffee that he had when <laughs> we first ran into him this morning. He no longer has his world's best teacher mug. <laughs> and she's like, uh, we can... We can grab a cup of coffee, I think, and then I'll meet you guys back at the room. All right. Yeah, sounds good. Okay. The rest of you head back to Ellis Tower and into your suite. Lyra, Leo will wait for you by the door. He'll walk out of the bunker and the heavy iron doors will slide close behind him and lock with a click, the same way they did when you first walked in. When you get outside, there are still students sort of milling around on the quad gawking a lot of them are like looking up at the sky and like squinting their eyes leo claps his hands a couple times to get their attention and then says okay that's enough you've all got things to do schedules to keep it's time to get back to class the students start to begrudgingly disperse leo kind of shakes his head as he watches them go and you walk across the quad in 
relatively awkward silence for about 30 seconds before he says, I am just now realizing how hard it is to small talk when I don't know who it is you really are. That's fair. Kind of hard to make small talk with someone who's technically in charge. I mean, you are in charge, but... I'm I'm not the headmaster, but... It, it, it's... Yeah. It's like you're, you're more in charge than I am, but you're not all the way in charge, and it's just, it's strange. I don't... I'm not in charge of... I don't get to be in charge of anything, really, if I'm not in this. And she gestures at everything. She's like, so it's kind of hard to let other people be in control of the situation when I am. This, this is the only time I get to be. So small talk in this is hard always, honestly. For what it's worth, I don't really count myself as being in charge of you or anyone. And, well, I mean, that's not true. I am in charge mm -hmm. of some people. I am their boss, but not you. I'm not your boss. As you so astutely pointed out, you're not getting paid, so we can just talk. Look, I'm really sorry about today. It's it's okay. I'm not... I mean, I am angry, but that's just a generalized thing, I think. But it... Like, I get it, but at the same time, I'm more frustrated by this fact that you know, someone can come in here and accuse me of a crime and then I can't even investigate it. Accused of, it, uh, from what I take, by how spitting mad she was before she actually saw me. Something that's very serious. But, you know, fuck me, I guess. Nobody wants us to go near it. And that's the part that I don't understand how I'm supposed to be okay with. I'm just gonna accuse me of something and then, whoops. That's fine. Wow, that is kind of a really good point that I hadn't considered. I guess I owe you two apologies. We just had this conversation about how I'm not in charge of you, and I'm not your boss, and I don't think of myself that way, but I do think of myself as having a responsibility to the students here, to protect them. And I didn't really do that today. That wasn't a conversation you really should have had, and I'm realizing now, after what you said, that when I was trying to protect you by telling you not to investigate this thing, I was really just denying you agency. This is a complicated situation. Interspec has jurisdiction in everything relating to superhuman matters. They work very closely with Union Heroic, but at the end of the day, it's a partnership. They're not affiliated with each other. I'm trying to think of how to phrase this as a request, not an order. He picks up your drinks from the counter by the little, like, coffee kiosk, and he hands one to you. If you're going to investigate this, you might bump up against Interspec. And that's not... I'm not going to say that's dangerous, because fundamentally the organization is good. I can speak to that. One of my best friends is the director, and Mary is another one of my best friends. And I know Micah. <laughs> If something were to happen to you as a result of this, any of you, if you were to get in trouble with Interspec, if you were to do anything illegal, that could reflect on the school. So, again, this is not an order. I trust you to do what you need to do for yourself. You're an adult. I'm just asking that you consider the academy in that thought process. That's all. Lyra will kind of nod. She's like toying with the coffee cup. She hasn't had any of it yet and she'll kind of say I understand this is a position that you didn't ask to be in and it is very precarious but I wouldn't do anything that would put the school at odds or you at odds with anyone or anyone else in the squad particularly with the delicate status of each of us, really. I can respect it. 
even if I don't like it. That being said, if something else happens, that's probably going to change. The more frequently this happens, if it happens, then, you know. I don't think this is going to happen again, for what it's worth. None of this is your fault or your problem. And it's not my responsibility to explain her or to answer for her. But I've also known Haley, sorry, Luminary, for a long time. And she forgets who she is sometimes. And she forgets the impact that has on people. Lyra will kind of shrug at that. That's fair. I'm going to talk to her when she's calmer. But we're going to have to figure out something as far as the school is concerned. And as far as people coming here, he looks a little deflated and doing whatever they want. All right. But I appreciate you incorporating the school into your thought process. Yeah. Well, the school didn't do anything. So Leo is attempting to shift your labels. What does he want? (laughs) (laughs) He's trying to encourage you to be selfless. And to consider the school and all of the people associated with the school in your decision-making process. And he's trying to convince you not to fly off the handle and give things their due consideration. So what he's trying to do is raise your savior and lower your danger. I don't know if I want to let him do that because my danger is already zero. You can try to reject his influence if you want. I'm already angry too. (laughs) I don't want him to fuck with my shit. Uh, It's understandable. Yeah, if you want to, you can absolutely try to reject his influence. Yeah, I was going to say, given the fact that Lyra is already angry and she's just kind of like simmering in it because she was, she's been like raised not to explode about things, she's going to, I'm going to resist it. So what do I roll to resist? That's. You just roll, roll 2d6. You don't add anything. It's a six and a two, so six and eight. You get to choose one from the list. You can clear a condition or mark potential by immediately acting to prove them wrong. You can shift one label up and one label down your choice, or you can cancel their influence and take plus one forward against them. Clear a condition to immediately prove them wrong? What does that mean? So Leo is basically telling you like, to be a very responsible person, really consider the measure of your actions and the far-reaching impact that they could have. And you could clear a condition and say, fuck that. You don't have to literally say, fuck that to him. You can absolutely just be like, yes, <laughs> okay. yes, sir. I understand. Thank you, sir. And then just go and do it anyway. Because <laughs> okay. that's a thing teens do. I don't know if you're aware. <laughs> I was going to say, that's kind of what I was thinking of doing anyway in a slightly roundabout way. But I was a little thrown by the proving them wrong. Yeah, I think I'll go with that one. I think I will clear anger off, off my track. And be like, yes, sir, absolutely. And I'm not going to do that. In a way, in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Leo smiles and, and says, great. All right. I really appreciate you being so level headed about all this, Bethel. And I'm sorry again. From his pocket, you hear a voice that sounds a little bit muffled that says, Professor Sobrero. You're running late for your appointment. And he like smacks a hand to his forehead and says, Ah, thanks, Magil. Crud. I am sorry, Bethel. I completely forgot about this and the chaos of everything. Are are you good? Is everything okay? Fine. Gonna go back and talk to my squad. We have other things we have to discuss. Potentially changing a name if we want to. Role responsibilities. Training schedules. You know. That sounds great. Maybe you could use that opportunity to decide who you'd like to train with. Out of all the options. Out of the many, (laughs) many options. Oh, no, no, that part. On that, we are agreed. Well, don't... There's no need to rush into anything. There's uh, there's plenty of time. Plenty of flexibility. But I I gotta go. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll see you later. And he will leave you. 
What are you doing? Lyra just kind of like stands there on the sidewalk for a minute. I think they were probably walking back towards where the dorms were, back to Ellis Tower. And she just kind of stands there for a second before just slamming the entirely full cup of coffee like directly into the trash can with all the force of everything that she's just been sitting on and standing on since Luminary came into the bunker and just slams it into the trash can and then heads into the dorm to go meet up with the with the boys. All right. You go into Ellis Tower. You take the elevator. Despite the fact that you are masked and in your costume, you don't really get a second glance because you're not the only person walking around in a costume. Definitely not the only person walking around here with powers. You are starting to notice that as you move around the campus, some of the younger students will sort of like whisper as you walk past and you get the impression that it's more like they're impressed with you than they're making fun of you. Inside of the suite, before you arrive, Danny, what are you doing? I am doing research. Specifically, I'm doing a focus thing. And if you want, we could do that. The connecting the dots right now. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. This seems like the best time for it, story-wise. Cool. All right, let me roll plus savior. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, my God. (laughs) I got a... I think I got a five. Yeah. Would I still mark potential for this if it's a failure? I'm going to say yes. You mark potential anytime you fail a roll. So... Cool. On a miss, you are lost in the present, and I will tell you how things are so different here, and shift your labels according to how it makes you feel. Danny, there's not enough magic here. Where you are from, magic is everywhere. It's like everything. To have to ask somebody if the cool things they can do are magic, like you did with Micah, feels to you like a dumb question. Because what you're used to, that's just a given. And being here, it kind of feels dead. It kind of feels like a lot of the energy and the vitality and the things that made living worthwhile are just absent. And everybody seems unhappy and tense and stressed when magic could just solve all of their problems. How does that make you feel? As somebody who like uses magic teleportation, I think Danny would feel almost like safe of knowing that he could protect himself in that way. And by not having that, I think it has him more on edge than he would be normally like he doesn't have a sense of safety that he kind of needs especially in this new world okay so then i'm gonna say that the label shift that's gonna happen based on that because you feel so on edge all the time i'm gonna up your danger okay and i'm gonna lower your mundane because you just don't feel like you fit in Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Could be good because Danny was so mundane before. My mundane is really bad. <laughs> to be fair, I feel like that is a... <laughs> it makes sense. It for sure does. It's a little bit of function following form there. <laughs> so you, you were kind of reflecting on this with the car seat, maybe? Yeah, I think uh, he's gently rocking it back and forth. As if there's a child in there, but it's just the bone katana that Kaz gave him. Amazing. Like, cause these are, these are the things that make him feel safe now. These are his comfort items. So by, uh, whenever he feels that stress, he, he kind of goes to them. Uh, if he can. I had a moment when you described that he was just rocking an empty car seat, like there's no child in it. And I was like, wow, that's really creepy. And then you were like, no, but there's a bone katana in it. And I was like, wow, that's. <laughs> The only thing worse. (laughs) (laughs) For the record, it is it is strapped in so that it doesn't go flying with every rock. Safety first. Naturally. Obviously. Obviously. Kaz, Alex, how are you decompressing from your training session and all of the craziness that followed? I think Kaz, if Jonathan is around is probably trying to catch up with him because I feel like he hasn't really had a chance to touch base with Jonathan throughout the past 24 hours, which included telling his squad about his father, fighting criminals overseas, and then all of the chaos of the morning. So I think he's going to check in and see if he can talk to Jonathan and at least catch up for a few minutes. I think when you get back to your room, 
Jonathan is like stretched out on the bed, hands behind his head. And Kaz just walks in and takes his jacket off, uh, probably puts some of the extra bone that collected during the training exercise like on the dresser and then glances over at Jonathan and is like, you seem lost in thought, been keeping yourself entertained while I've been out. Yeah, so much I can do to entertain myself. You could always ask me to like put on the TV or something before I head out. Do you even hear the things you say when you say them? Yeah, it's fine. People do that for all sorts of things. I could say that it's for Danny's car seat. I'm not worried about people thinking the TV being on is weird. You gave someone from the future a bone katana. I don't think the TV being on is going to strike any of them as weird. What are you talking about then? I don't want to have to ask you to turn the TV on, Kaz. I mean, that's, that's fair. I guess I just, I don't know what else to do. I mean, we've tried so hard to find ways for you to be able to interact with the world and nothing seems to work. He sits up and he looks at you and he looks like he's about to say something. And then you can see he changes his mind. Yeah. No, no. What happened there? You were thinking something. No, no, nothing. I mean, you're right. We've, We've tried everything and like none of it worked. So I don't. I don't think we've tried everything. I mean, I don't know. When I was at that training session earlier, Mary asked me stuff that I couldn't answer about my powers. And I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm here. I'm hoping that I can learn more and that maybe there's something we haven't tried yet. And I mean, Jonathan, I mean, if you have an idea, I'm, I'm always open to that. Because I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, no, you're right. Maybe, maybe you'll learn something. Um, I mean, you'll figure it out. Of course you'll figure it out. I mean, again, if you have an idea, I'm, I'm willing to try out anything. I already said I don't, so just drop it. All right. If, that, if that's what you want. All right. He is uh, clearly not being very forthright. You... Could attempt to pierce the mask if you want to, to try to get a sense of what's really going on. I think I will uh, try. I think this is going to go really terribly, but uh, I think I'm going to try. It's just rolling with mundane. Yes, except that I'm at a minus two, so uh, this this is going to be a good time. Yeah, uh, that is a seven. A seven is a success. You can ask one question. And remind me, what are the options for the questions? What are you really planning? What do you want me to do? What do you intend to do? How could I get your character to blank? How could I gain influence over you? So if you're trying to figure out what he's not telling you, I would think maybe what do you intend to do or what are you really planning? Honestly, any of these questions could potentially apply to that question. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with like Kaz kind of studying Jonathan for a moment. And then saying, there's something you're not telling me. What are you thinking of doing? He's quiet for a second. He doesn't say anything at first. And he looks at you and he sits back up. And he has this very neutral expression on his face. And he says, nothing. Because I won't. But if you could. Is there any version of this conversation where you drop it? Probably not. Fine. Yeah. All right. I wasn't going to tell you about this. We're not going to do anything about it. I just want to make that clear right now. I'll tell you, but that's it. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll take that. I mean, you're, you're my best friend, Jonathan. I, I want to know what's going on. He closes his eyes for a second. Like he is steadying himself. And then he opens them again. And he says, the truth is when you disappeared last week, I was solid. People could see me. I could touch things. I had a heartbeat. And I don't know what any of that means, but I know that we're not entertaining some kind of martyr situation where you try to make yourself disappear or something. And Kaz looks 
absolutely shocked at that. He just sort of pauses in taking in all of that information. He might even go and take a seat on the edge of the bed. Because hearing Jonathan say that, and hearing that that was the cause of Jonathan turning solid, is so much to process in so many different ways. And so he is quiet for a good 15 to 20 seconds after Jonathan says that. And then he just says, thank you for telling me. I don't know why you would thank me. It's just another thing to worry about. I mean, I guess I'm trying to see the potential silver lining there of that being new data that we have. I don't want to make myself disappear, Jonathan. But if there's some way that I wouldn't have to disappear and you could be solid, I mean, maybe there's a middle ground. Maybe it doesn't have to be one or the other. I mean, it's not like I was dead. I was, I don't know, in this weird underground upside down house, but I was still alive. But that's the thing. Neither was I. I wasn't just solid. I was alive. Which means we were both alive at the same time. Which doesn't mean this has to be a murder situation. Were we? Because you don't know where you went. What if it was hell or fuck, I don't know. I mean, maybe it was, but I feel like if that were the case, that dude who found us would have been a lot more freaked out to see like four dead people standing around. I don't know. All I know is that you're alive and I'm dead. And when you disappeared, I was alive. I don't know what that means. I don't know either, but I want to find out. And I think we can. I mean, maybe maybe this is the breakthrough that we've needed, Jonathan. He's been, like, staring at the wall across from the bed the entire time, the one that you're both sitting on. He hasn't looked at you at all this entire time you've been talking. He's going to shake his head and let it fall down towards his chest, and he's going to say, I need some air. And he's going to disappear. And... Kaz doesn't make any attempt to stop him. Alex, what have you been up to? So Alex has been overall still feeling, despite generally having a pretty good performance in the gymnasium earlier, he is still feeling pretty adrift right now with Dr. M being in the hospital, being in a coma still, and doesn't really know who to look towards for guidance. He knows that he and his squad are probably going to go investigate this thing, and he's going to go with it. But he also knows that has a non-zero chance of bringing him into conflict with potentially luminary of all people, which is not really where he saw this day going. And so he has the victory manual open towards a section near the back that is a bit beat up a bit more water damage than the rest of it. He is staring very intently at it. It is covered in diagrams. Some of them look like they're of yoga positions. Some of them look like Xeroxed prog rock album covers. And the heading says, The Victory Mindscape, under which, in thick red sharpie in Dr. M's handwriting, is scribbled, do not attempt. Does it say Alex or is that just implied? <laughs> it does not say Alex specifically, but its meaning is known to Alex well enough. Because of the implications. Yeah. Because of the implications. Yes. <laughs> what are you considering in regards to the victory mindscape? So this is actually going to be part of the advance that I ended up taking. Taking a move from another playbook. That is the out of this world move from the nomad playbook. The Victory Mindscape is sort of an advanced application of the Victory Senses, where you can access a hyperdimensional space that includes all of the knowledge and experience of Victory's past, present, and future. At least that's what it was intended to be. At this point, Victory's past, present, and future includes Dr. McManus, maybe Alex, and even then, with the time shenanigans, maybe not even that. 
neither Alex nor Dr. M is entirely sure what would actually happen if Alex attempted to do that. He could literally become a black hole. Nobody knows. Is right now that time, or are you just considering the victory mindscape? I think since he is still still scared, he's been scared since his confrontation with Deathless Comrade, and he was just about at the point of shaking that during his meeting with Dr. M, and then, you know. So, yeah, I think that he's going to make an attempt at it. All right. I guess before we get into what it looks like, or what it feels like, you should roll with Freak. Oh, my Freak is still plus one right now, so. Yeah. All right, and that is going to be a 10 total. Wow. Thank you to the headmaster. You come to a new interesting insight about your current problems and situation. I will tell you what. You can also shift your own labels accordingly to match your new insight. So you can raise one and lower one. Shift always means the same thing. One goes up, one goes down. What does Alec experience in the mindscape? So I think to start out by assuming this meditative posture, and he is going to be reaching out with his super senses and kind of almost trying to like, you know, that weird feeling where you kind of like cross your own eyes doing that, but with all of his visions beyond the visible spectrum simultaneously, as well as performing a series of strange breathing exercises that would only be possible for somebody with a combination of super strength and superhuman physiological control. I think at some point, the room that he's in sort of falls away, or at the very least, the walls expand out to become impossibly, infinitely distant to the point that he is just sitting upon this vast and infinite plane, still carpeted like his uh, dorm room, strangely enough. That coffee stain in the corner just got really, really big. What does he experience there? Well, I guess that depends on what is your current predicament or problem. I think his current predicament or problem is feeling a bit conflicted because he wants to support his squad and he wants to back Bethel's play. But at the same time, he feels a lot of reservations about potentially crossing Luminary, who is sort of this almost kind of Ur representation of what he kind of aspires to be. So the victory mindscape, as it is right now, is essentially sort of just a room. Uh, That is how he is experiencing it in this moment at this time. Very cool. And in that room, I think there is like a very old television set. Looks like it might even be black and white. And as you enter the Victory Mindscape, it switches on of its own volition. And it's just showing that that black and white like snow with a staticky noise at first. And then you start to hear voices becoming more intelligible from the static. The knobs on the side of the TV start to adjust themselves as the picture becomes more clear. And you can see a room that you have never seen before. The room is big, first of all, and it appears to be mostly made up of windows. In fact, it looks like there are windows 360 degrees in this room. It is also circular, as far as you can tell. And in the center of this room, there is a large, very large table that looks almost like it could be maybe one solid piece of metal. There are chairs set around that table. Currently, no one is sitting in any of those chairs, but each one is marked on the back with an emblem of some kind. The only one you can really see, because that's the one that's facing the quote-unquote camera, is emblazoned with a large yellow V outlined in black. And as the voices grow louder and more intelligible... You see a familiar-looking figure storm into frame. You recognize Dr. Victory immediately. You've read all of the comics, and it is unmistakably him, and it is unmistakably Dr. M, which you are especially aware of now that you have seen a younger version of him in person. And as he storms into frame, he's saying, I don't understand even where you start to get off with this attitude. I would say not only is it appropriate, it's our responsibility. The voters need to be informed. They deserve to know the truth about the people they're voting for. 
isn't part of the responsibility that we hold to the public? To protect their best interests? He walks to the other side of the table as he is saying this, and another person moves onto camera, following after him. This individual stands over seven feet tall, is wearing a black costume, which, if this were in color, you would know has gold accents on it. Not only is he over seven feet tall, he is incredibly muscular. His head is completely shaved, and as he turns and sheets out to the camera, you can see that he doesn't have eyebrows or any sign of body hair whatsoever. Despite this, he is still a, an incredibly handsome face by modern standards. His mouth is moving, but no sound is coming out. He says something to Dr. Victory, and Dr. Victory throws his hands up in frustration and says, That is a short-sighted excuse at best. We live in a democracy. We protect a democracy. That is what we do here. And an informed voter base is the key to that democracy. So I will endorse whoever I want, and I will speak out about whoever I want. And if you have an issue with that, Josue, you can take it up with me. And maybe we should rethink this whole union thing anyway. This figure that you know to be Paragon, Mm -hmm. this man in the suit, says something in reply. And Dr. Victory continues to act very outraged. Yes, here we go again. I have heard so much about this future of yours, but you can't tell me whether it is the one future or a possible future. Nobody knows. So all we are doing is leaping at shadows, avoiding things you think will lead to an outcome that you experienced in a different time, in a different place. Entropy is the only constant, Josue. All I'm trying to do is guide us to a better future. Paragon says something in response to that that you obviously can't hear. You see his mouth move. Dr. Victory crosses his arms over his chest and says, I suppose time will tell which one of us is right. And the broadcast seems to end. TV switches off. As you are left standing there in the mindscape, you hear a voice, a disembodied voice, say, Hello? Someone there? Hello? Are you real? Are you? I believe so. I can't see you. Oh, uh, yes. Of course, I'm, I'm so sorry. Suddenly there's a door to the room that wasn't there when you first arrived. And it opens. A person steps through the door. They are wearing khaki slacks and a sweater, like a cream-colored sweater over like a white button-down shirt. The fashion looks outdated. You'd place it maybe around the 1970s or so. But the main thing you notice is they look exactly like Charles McManus Jr. Dr. M, you're looking spry. The individual looks very confused at that and says, I'm not a doctor. Out of curiosity, does this Charles McManus have his like victory build or is he more slight? He looks more slight. He looks like a a very regular looking person. He's even on the skinny side. Does he perhaps look closer in age to how Alex is right now? You wouldn't think so. Okay. If you were to try to place his age, he would be solidly in Dr. Victory years. Hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, not a doctor, M, then. Hey, it's weird. Mr. M? Mr. M, hey. Gosh, I don't know anything. Is it? Why don't we start with introductions? You can call me Chuck. Oh, that's so weird. Hey, <laughs> Chuck? Nope, still sounds weird. Hey, Chuck, uh, I'm Alex. Alex, it's nice to meet you. What are you doing here? Do you know how to leave? Are you stuck here too? I'm not there yet, but I'm going to figure it out. You're stuck here? Yes. Yeah. I've been stuck here for, I, I don't know. I mean, there aren't days. There aren't, time doesn't mean anything. I, I don't know how long I've been here. His face gets a little unhinged as he. Oh, okay. Okay, Chuck. Chuck. <laughs> okay. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Sorry. Okay. It's, just, it's been a really long time since I've talked to anyone. When was the last? Well, okay, actually, not even going to ask. Time has no meaning here. Who was the last person you talked to? Oh, God. I mean, probably my wife. It was my wife. I said goodbye to her when I left. 
that morning. Alex is just trying to figure out what to say in reply as, as far as he knows, Dr. M's never mentioned being married. And that was not a thing in the comics either. Do you know how to leave? Not yet, but I'm going to figure that out. As for you, I don't know if, oh, this is going to sound really weird. Hmm. Do you, hmm. This is really awkward. Oh no. Oh, Dr. M was right. Do not attempt, Alex. I don't know if there's a way for you to leave. I'm just going to rip that band-aid off right now. I'm so sorry, Chuck. I think you might be some sort of a weird psychic manifestation. I don't know what any of those words mean. Noted. Okay, look, if you can't get me, if you can't just take me with you, can you can you figure it out? Can you take a message? I would be happy to. Can you find my wife? I, uh, I will do my best, Chuck. What would you like me to say to her? He like sits down heavily in in one of the chairs and says, Oh God, I don't know. I don't even know how to start to explain any of this. I guess just tell her that I'm trying to get home. I can't tell you how much time I've spent worrying about how she probably thought I just left. Where did you go? Where were you trying to go? I was just driving to work. I left for work and I was driving to work and then suddenly I was here. One minute I was behind the wheel of the car. Where were you working? I'm an accountant. Oh, we're... I guess you said, yeah, you weren't a doctor. You're an accountant. Where were you an accountant at? What accounts were you in? <laughs> He'll say, uh, all right, I'll be honest. I wasn't an accountant yet. I was finishing an internship. But I mean, it was going to lead to something real soon. Where were you hoping to get a job? Anywhere, really. Times are pretty lean right now, you know? In the 70s. Yeah, they keep saying things are going to get better, but I just don't know. In the 1970s. Obviously. Yes, obviously. It's a weird way to say it. The 1970s. Yeah. Um, Okay. I tell you what, Chuck. There's probably going to have to be a longer conversation that we're going to have to have at some point. But we are going to have that. I'm going to come back. I know it's probably going to feel like a long time until the next time I get back, but I want you to keep in your mind, keeps you sane, I am going to come back, and I am going to try to find your wife, okay? He nods slowly, says, you you promise? Yeah, Chuck, I promise. All right. And you'll, you'll find my wife? I'm going to try, Chuck. Okay. And with that, I think Alex is going to try his best to perform the mental exercises necessary to exit the mindscape. It is a lot easier for you to exit the mindscape. You don't know if that's going to continue to be the case as you use it more often, whether it's Mm going to be easy for you to enter in the future or whether it's just easy to leave but hard to get in. I was like, well, no, that seemed pretty easy. I don't know why Dr. M put that big giant note telling me not to ever attempt that. Yeah, it's super easy. I should do this all the time. As you sort of come back to your consciousness, I assume you were doing this in your room. You said you were looking over the victory manual. Yeah. As you come back to yourself and you open your eyes and you hear the door to the suite open and you hear Lyra's voice and your other teammates moving to greet her, there's a name that is sort of resonating in your mind. It's like when you wake up and you already have a thought in your head. And you don't know where it came from, but you can't get it out of your head. It's like that. And that name is Teresa McManus. And so the pieces fall into place. Or not, as the case may be. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Academy H. I hope you enjoyed it, and we really appreciate you giving it a chance and sticking with us if this isn't your first episode. If you'd like to keep up with us and what we're up to, you can follow us on Twitter at Live from the Apoc because of character limits, Instagram and TikTok at Live from the Apocalypse, or please feel free to join our Discord, which will be linked in the description down below. It's a great community full of great people, and we would love to have you be a part of it. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to give us a good rating and follow us on your podcatcher of choice. Leave a review if you're so inclined. It really does help us out so much. 
The donation link to our Surfrider Foundation campaign can also be found in the description if you'd like to help us close out our goal strong. Please join us for live recordings of Academy H every other Sunday or any of our four other ongoing live streamed campaigns that happen throughout the week over at twitch.tv slash live from the apocalypse. As always, nothing we do would be possible without your support, and we appreciate you so, so much. Until next time. My internet did not like that. <laughs> I am I am this close to going across the street to Jesse's house. <laughs> I hate this. Uh, I'm right here. I can see all of you. Oh god. I'm afraid to do this. <laughs> Oh, I didn't. I did. I started recording as soon as I came back. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. <laughs>